It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one. Four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June 23rd is live. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you. Josh is behind the board. Josh, welcome back to the program. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. Yeah, tonight. we want to hear you tonight. Now, you got we got some tough questions. We're expecting you to help, buddy. Speaking of the tough questions, that's one of our favorite uh, topics. Uh, yeah, we're going to do our listener smorgasbord tonight. Uh, tough questions. We got some questions that have been sent in. The, the 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 inbox has not been getting as many questions lately. We're always uh, desirous of those. So, if you've got a question that you think would make an interesting discussion, it doesn't have to be a question that you don't know the answer to. Yeah, you know, we might clarify that. It it we're not just asking for questions that you don't know the answer to because we might not know the answer to them either. But we're just asking for questions that you think would make a worthy uh, study on the virtual Bible study. Uh, so you know, if you think you've got something that would you know pique people's interest and and encourage Bible study, send it to us. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't have to worry about oh that would that, that's a silly question. I should know the answer to that. They're going to think I'm really stupid if I ask that. No, just ask it. We don't care. Well, we, we got we uh, even know, not even know who you are. Use an anonymous email maybe. But we've got one tonight that is just I think really unusual but interesting. I've never even thought of it before, but it's interesting. The first one we'll go to tonight, but we'll do that in a minute. Okay. All right, we want to hear from you, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We were talking before the program. You said you thought maybe we would not have enough to talk about tonight, so maybe somebody wants to submit a question during the program. Ooh. We might get sneak that in. Maybe it, it, Usually we are so jam-packed we can't take uh, any additional questions, but we may have a little slack time at okay. the end tonight. And if we do, send us one that, you know, again, it doesn't have to be stump the chumps, you know. Uh, you don't have to try to just throw us one we can't answer, right. but uh, if you got something that you think is interesting. you want to submit that question live tonight or if you want to submit it at any time, you may be listening to this program. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. You can call us toll-free, 877-381-4567. And if you're listening to us live, the chat window is there. Sign in with other listeners. Dave from Red Wing, Minnesota, is on uh, in the chat room tonight as well as Philip. And so we're glad. And Arthur there. So uh, other listeners will be filling in as the time goes. Yeah, so, Sign so in and got... chat with other listeners. Philip and Dave and Arthur are already committed. Uh, you join in there too. We we want we want comments from all of you all. So uh, please, there's Kevin Kelly showing up. Kevin's there. Yep, good to have Kevin as well. So yep, sign in, chat with other listeners on the program tonight. As we go with our listener smorgasbord, you can call up those questions now or do them as we well, get to ha- Let's just hang on to them a minute. But before we do that, just a couple of book or uh, housekeeping notes. We want to keep uh, promoting our community Bible study in Columbia, Tennessee, July 18th and 19th. We've been talking about that. We're going to keep talking about it till it happens. We'll probably be talking about it after it happens. Uh, we do this every summer. We go to a neutral site in our small town of Columbia, Tennessee. We rent a, a public auditorium near downtown called the Memorial Building. And uh, we try to really uh, get the community aware that we're going to be there and about the topic that we're discussing this year, our topic is the Christian and his vote. This big election year, uh, there's a lot of moral considerations that Christians need to take uh, into consideration uh, when they as they plan to place their vote in this election year. Steve Klein from Athens, Alabama, is going to lead our discussion this year. What we do is he brings a lesson, basically, and then we accept questions from the audience and sort of get a little additional discussion at the end by a question and answer period. It's really interesting. You won't be sorry if you make the effort to come to Columbia, Tennessee, to join us in the community Bible study. Uh, If you're anywhere nearby, uh, within a driving distance, uh, mark your calendars, July 18th and 19th. All right. So plan to be there. 
And you can be finding more information about that on our website, I think. If I need to get that up. I have not I have not got that to the website, We're but I'll try to do that maybe now. even tomorrow. Okay, so check that out, and we want you to make plans for that. And we can we can push our bumper stickers for a little while longer. Still have some of those. If They've you got want a bumper free stickers. bumper sticker. Yeah, we keep getting a few requests for bumper help stickers. Help us advertise, get the word out. Yeah. Uh, you can send us your snail mail address. Send it to questions at collegeview.com. We'll zip it over to you in the mail. And remember, these these are not the... Typical bumper sticker. This is a little oval sticker that looks like you ran a half marathon or something. You know, right. you, you know, people. Oh, look at that guy. He's a runner. Oh, wait, oh yeah. no, wait no, a minute. Wait. He's a Bible student. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can get. Yeah, see, if you're going to be sitting in traffic, you might as well advertise a little bit. So yeah. help us with that. If you want a free bumper sticker, send us your, your snail mail address. Yeah. Okay. All right. So on to the topic at hand tonight. Earlier today, to our update list, we sent out these questions. We got a question from Reggie, one from David, one from Philip, and and really three questions about the Catholic and their beliefs from our friend Chris in Atlanta. Uh, we're going to start, we'll just deal with these one at a time, no use reading ahead. So remember that if you're not on our update list, you can get on that list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. And on Thursday about noon, shortly before noon, we send out uh, what our topic is going to be and what our questions we're going to try to cover during our study that night. Today we sent out these questions from our listeners the first one is, I think, a really interesting one, odd, a little bit peculiar. Uh, and I got this one in person, Jacob, actually. In person, okay. Uh, I was preaching up in Indiana back in the spring, and a friend of mine up there, Reggie, said, did you ever think about this? And so he asked the question, do you think that Jake, uh, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who were allowed to go into the promised land, who were older than 20 years old when the episode at Kadesh Barnea happened. You remember the Israelites had come up to Kadesh Barnea? They sent spies into the promised land, 12 spies. The spies came back, and they all said, it's a wonderful land. I mean, it's incredible. One of the things about their report that always intrigued me was they came carrying back one cluster of grapes, and it took two men to carry it on a pole on their shoulders. I mean, this land was fertile. Uh, But they said, it's a great land, but we can never take it Uh, because they have mighty, fortified, walled cities. And the people up there, they are giants up there, literal giants. And, in fact, we we felt like we were grasshoppers in there. So we think they thought we were grasshoppers. We felt like grasshoppers in comparison to them. We can never take that land. That was the report of ten spies. But two spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, let's go. Let's go. God is with us. And they used the expression, they are bread for us. Yeah. You know, God will be with us. He'll bless us. We'll take the land like he promised to give it to us. Let's go. we got to go. God is with us. Well, they they rebelled against that report, rebelled against uh, God, rebelled against Moses' leadership and refused to go. And so there was a punishment meted out. God was very angry at their lack of faith on that occasion. And in Numbers chapter 13, uh, this is where that episode takes place. Let me read part of it. Numbers 14 is where they get the death sentence. Yeah, yeah. Numbers 13 is where it names the spies that were sent in. But then in Numbers 14 uh, is where Joshua and Caleb try to encourage them. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spake to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying... The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Uh, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said, uh, said to stone them with stones. Uh, now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel. In other words, they, they were so mad at Caleb and Joshua for simply saying, God will bless us, let's go, that they were intending to stone them. Well, here's the punishment that God then administered because of their lack of faith. In chapter 14, verse 29, the carcasses of you who have murmured against me shall fall in the wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, 
You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell. Uh, so I think the common take on that is pretty literal. Uh, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Now, the question is, who was numbered? Uh, Josh, you mentioned that in the numbering of the children of Israel, the Levites weren't numbered, right? What What is that, Josh? Yeah, in, in Numbers chapter 1, down toward the end in about verse 47, uh, it mentions that when the census was taken, that the Levites weren't among the number that was taken. And that's what verse 47 says. But the Levites, after the tribe of their fathers, were not numbered among them. So Interesting. Yeah, so yeah. there might have been people. So maybe the Le- maybe the Levites are not in that number. Then look at a couple of other places. Deuteronomy two. Uh, now these are verses that Reggie supplied to me. Deuteronomy two, verse fourteen. Uh, and the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years. In other words, Moses is talking here. This is near the end of Moses' life. He's, a, he's about to pass over the leadership to Joshua. He's sort of These are his final remarks to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. And so he's recalling the time we took from Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is where they were with the episode of the spies. He says, from there until we crossed the valley of Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord had sworn to them. Notice that it, Moses specified that it was the men of war who had passed during that, that time of wandering in the wilderness. And then look at Joshua chapter 5. Now that's, that's the men of war, but not necessarily the spies, right? Well, the, the, I think the spies would be included. In is Reggie's book. point it's just the spies? No, that, no. His point is it's that it's the, the men, men of war. war. It, it wasn't all the people. It so did women. not include the, the tribe of Levi. Okay. It was the, the men of war who were numbered okay. who died. Joshua 5, verses 4 and 6. It says, This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness in the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So there again, both in the mouth of Moses and Joshua, it seemed to be an emphasis on the men of war uh, who died. Notice he said, uh, all the people who who were men of war who came out, were consumed. So I don't know. I've, uh, uh, Reggie may have a point there that we sort of oversimplify. Because mm-hmm. I know the way we explain that is typically always everybody who was over 20 years old died during the 40 years of wilderness wandering. And the only exceptions to that were Joshua and Caleb who were allowed to enter the promised land. But it may be that there were others. And... and uh, I'd, I'd be a little bit hard pressed to to argue otherwise. Well, I you know if you go back to Numbers fourteen and Kevin says Numbers fourteen thirty through thirty two looks pretty plain, and he says the only speculation could possibly be that Caleb and Joshua were the two good report spies and the other ten would die. That's a stretch though, no specifics. I prefer the little literal rendering. Kevin says all above twenty leaves no speculation and doesn't water down our need to have faith in the Lord. You know if you look at at the, at the at, at God's condemnation in verse 27 he says how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me I have heard their complaints which the children of Israel make against me say to them as I live says the Lord just as you have spoken in my hearing so I will do to you the carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness so he says the carcasses of those who complained and if you'll notice Verse 14, or verse 1 of chapter 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Well, that's a good argument, but the very next phrase there in verse 29, all who have murmured against me shall fall in wilderness, all of you who were numbered. Mm-hmm. And if you go back to the numbering, the numbering was always of men able to go to war. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a little uh, uh, hesitant to take a, a, a firm position on that question. But that's an interesting thing. That is interesting. That, I, that, that's something, that, like I was saying earlier, that there's a question that uh, I had never really even thought about that. Uh, but it might it might be there's something I don't know that we can answer that definitively, and I don't know that it matters either way. It's a it's a fairly moot point, but yeah. it's an interesting okay. bit of Bible. I, I hesitate always, Josh, to use the expression Bible trivia because I don't think the Bible's trivial at all. But that's just a little little bit of uh, Bible trivia, maybe. Okay. All right. When we get back, we've got another one that's along those same lines, but maybe a little bit more significant from David. Yeah, here's the question. We'll give you this teaser, and we'll come back after the break to get this. David asked, if the new covenant began at the crucifixion and the gospel of Christ was not taught until Pentecost, what was the condition of those who died during that period? Were they saved without baptism or not? Were they judged according to the law of Moses or not? Where do those people fall that would have lived and potentially died between the crucifixion and the day of Pentecost, that window actually is wider than the day of Pentecost between the crucifixion and some other time. We'll talk about that when we get back. Okay. So don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock. It's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The best preparation for tomorrow is the right use of today. When a man who is honestly mistaken hears the truth, he will either quit being mistaken or cease being honest. Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. Talk about those quotes. I heard one from, I read one in Jim Michael's bulletin today. You may have seen this. Uh, A lot of people's minds are like concrete. Thoroughly mixed up and firmly set. Yeah, I, that I, saw, was I saw yeah. that too. All right. Okay. I, I, so since you did that, I got to I got to give you one that Matt uh, Matt Foster here, a member of the congregation, said. Uh, heard any good excuses why people haven't been to church services lately? And I said, Well, there's always lots of good excuses. He says, Well, here's one. He said, A guy didn't come to services, and they called to check on him, and he said, Well, he said, I looked at my phone, and it said no service, <laughs> so I didn't come. <laughs> Well, so that's a new one. That's a good one. That's yeah. a new one. Yeah, you got to do what your phone says. Yeah. Hey, all right. Uh, good uh, questions tonight that we're talking about, and we want some good answers from you in the chat room, over the phone, or over email tonight. And remember, maybe sneak in one here at the end of the program if you've got a question you'd like to discuss tonight. Okay, so what about this question? If the new covenant began at the crucifixion and the gospel of Christ was not taught until Pentecost. Now, I think I would might word that differently. Uh, I, I, I don't know that the New Covenant began at the crucifixion, but I would agree that I think we have a pretty clear point in time when the Old Covenant was abolished. Right. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul is talking about the ordinances of the, of the law of Moses, and he says in Colossians 2:14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Uh, so I think it's pretty clear from that that the, the the old covenant ended at the cross. Yeah. So 
Now, when when was the gospel first preached? Well, it wasn't preached until Pentecost. Now, we, we remember that Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover Sabbath. Yep. Uh, so the question the question that David's asking is, what happened to people in that time period? Well, if the if in fact the the old law was nailed to the cross, but the gospel hadn't been preached yet, yep. What are you going to do for those 50 days? Well, it's even bigger than that because you've got the the old you got Christ sacrifice on the day of on the around the Passover you have the day of Pentecost 50 days later but you have to think about the Gentiles as well they weren't until Acts chapter 10 how much time was that yeah and that was maybe on the order of 10 years later after Pentecost okay wow. eight, eight to ten years later okay so you've got a you've got a pretty broad window there now yeah. what happened get, to the Gentiles so the question you're asking is okay if if what happened to the Gentiles between the time Jesus died on the cross and the gospel was first preached to them? Yes. So now, I mean, somebody could make a theory, well, nobody died for 50 days. That's probably unlikely. I've heard that, though. I, In fact, my father, years ago, espoused that position, that he believed that nobody died for the 50 days between the crucifixion and Pentecost. Well, that makes some undertakers nervous, wouldn't it? Business was well, pretty bad. But I think, I, I think, like you said, there were... Not everybody was in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost to hear that message, you know. So what happened until people heard the message of the gospel? How were they to be judged until the gospel message got out there? Well, you have to take Psalm 45, verse 17 in this into this discussion. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. Whatever he, the answer is to that is God is going to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think by, that's a bottom line consideration. God will do the right thing to all in judgment. He, he's a just, fair, merciful, gracious God, and he will do what is right and fair. So I mean, I don't, we don't have to worry about it. We're obviously way, way point past that yeah, point a, in time. Yeah, this is a, a uh, totally moot point here at yeah. this point. But, but it's an interesting, it is interesting question. Point, I think yeah. an interesting question. And again, I think it's a question that we may just not have the answer to. That may be one of those secret things that belongs to God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Yeah. Uh, but if if we have to leave that in the realm of things we don't know how to answer, we do have the confidence, as you said, that God is a great, good, gracious, just judge. Yeah. So we can, we can do that. We did get an email from Ramona who said, she says, I would think they were still under the old law and were saved. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we we got to deal with that passage that says the the ordinance of the old law were nailed to the cross so i i don't know but as you said what about the gentiles i think now i would argue probably that until the gospel went to the gentiles they were still under whatever dispensation that god was dealing with them because we know that the we we sometimes uh oversimplify the divisions of time in the bible we talk about the patriarchal and the mosaic and the christian time periods well that middle time period that we call the mosaic didn't cover everybody the law of moses did only covered the israelites but god was still dealing with other nations but not by that law and not under that covenant think about jonah going to the assyrians they went jonah went to nineveh they were not that wasn't they were jews but that god told them to repent yeah. repent from what how would they know how would they know to repent and what would they have to repent of unless they knew something of what god expected them to do and how he expected them to live all right so uh again i would think i i think i would be willing to say that that dispensation of time for the Gentiles continued until the gospel went to them, okay. beginning with Cornelius. All right. So maybe that answers that question. But you have the 50 days for the Jews. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. Uh, and I don't think it's revealed. I think that may be something we just have to leave in the hands of God. We got any comments in the... I see uh, Kevin's in the, in the chat room... Uh, uh, let's see. He says, yes, wider than 50 days delivery of gospel to Gentiles. What about the delay from then until the next believer in the future, minutes or hours from now? Uh, yes, I would agree. that God, uh, Kevin, I'm not sure I understand it. Do you get that, that comment? He says, what about the delay from then until the next believer in the future? Minutes? Yeah, maybe you can clarify that. 
Uh, help us out with that one, Kevin. I'm not sure I'm following you there. He says, I agree, God's grace until the believer exercises their belief or dies in their sins. Uh, any other hypothesis uh, are Deuteronomy 29, 29. Secret things belong to God. No, you're not hogging the chat room, Kevin. What What did you mean there about from now until the next believer? Yeah, he needs some help. He's needing some help in the chat room. So yeah. if you're not signed in, sign yeah, in there. Yeah. Kevin, thank you for your comments tonight. Uh, yeah, we are talking hype. We're doing some. We're di- we're getting into some things that are not revealed, and you got to be careful about that. There certainly have been dangerous outcomes from folks who dealt in these areas and, but, and but, stayed there know, for too long. But but don't you think that, that that your point, Jacob? Don't you think that that's a great comforting point? We've got a just God. He will do what is right. 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 And that's a comforting thing. We don't have to have the answer to that. And we don't have to be troubled about that. You know, that's sort of like another question that comes up from time to time. What about the people who never heard the gospel before they died? Uh, well, I'm going to leave that up to God. I, 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 I don't believe that you can be saved without faith in Christ Jesus. But what, would, would God condemn someone who never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus? I'm not, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to say you must believe in Jesus to be saved because that's what he's revealed to me. That's all I can go with. I, I would further argue that if you can be saved without believing in Jesus, then probably the hardest, worst thing we could do to a person is tell them about Jesus because once we tell them about Jesus, then they become obligated to do something, whereas they were safe before and now we've put them in jeopardy because now they've got to make a decision to obey. I'm not comfortable with that conclusion at all. I think all men are amenable to the law of Christ and and, and that you must believe in Jesus to be saved. But if if God in in his and his infinite wisdom and justice has a provision for somebody during that 50 days or some of those Gentiles until they heard the gospel after the household of Cornelius, I'm fully comfortable leaving that in his hands. And on the day of judgment, no one who is condemned to hell will be able to say no fair. Right. It'll all be, it'll all be understood. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, 877-381-4567. Uh, Kevin, trying to clarify his then and now statement from the delivery of God's word then until the future, the amount of time given to each of us. Uh, okay. I think. Our, yeah, that, did, that didn't help me, Kevin. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think, but I would say, you know, this, as we said earlier, this is sort of moot to us because we have the gospel. It's yeah. been it's been fully accessible to us our whole lives long. And we're to, we're to believe it and obey it, and yeah. we're to preach it to others. Yeah. And that, that we can have confidence And in. if anybody can be saved without the gospel, I, I'm a, I, I do not like that conclusion at all. If, if there's, okay, here's, here's somebody in the remotest parts of, you know, outer Mongolia. Or, uh, and, and, and uh, he never, no one ever came there with a Bible, and they never preached Jesus to him. You mean God's going to condemn him to hell? Well, all I can t- say is what has been revealed, and what has been revealed is Jesus said, "Except you believe in me, you shall die in your sins." John eight twenty four. If that guy in outer Mongolia can be saved without the gospel message, then let's let's draw back, let's keep this quiet. Uh, we're obligated because someone exposed messed us. us up. Yeah, they messed us up by exposing yeah. us to the truth, but let's don't mess anybody else up by exposing them to the truth. I don't like that at all. That's that's a bad conclusion. Okay, guest 67, that's Dave in uh, Minnesota. Red Wing, Minnesota. He says that uh, when did the new covenant begin? The cross, the resurrection, Pentecost, AD 70, or in the future? Well, I believe, I believe that the... Uh, actually, the Hebrew writer deals with that somewhat in Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the that Jesus' will and testament went into effect uh, when he died. Good reference. Uh, and but but it wasn't preached or proclaimed until Pentecost. The Holy Spirit didn't come and and inspire the apostles to proclaim that message until Pentecost. And that therefore is the question. All right, Josh. Yeah, I had a thought. Uh, Greg was talking about somebody that hadn't heard the gospel yet. Uh, but during this transition time, it's kind of hard to think about when the, the new covenant is going to effect. But I was thinking about Paul in Acts 19. He came to Ephesus, 
you know, he ran into some disciples there and he asked them what were they baptized for, basically, and they said they were baptized in John's baptism. And so they had they had done what was right up into, you know, as far as they knew, they were doing what was right, what they'd been taught. But then he talked to them about Christ. Well, then they immediately were baptized in his name. So yeah. I think I've got to believe that in that transition period, they were doing what they knew what was right. And then when the, you know, the new covenant was revealed to them, well, then they, they made it that was the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think so that's I think a good. Got, I think they, and they certainly had a noble attitude in that home. Right. They were trying to do what was right. I remember years ago, a fellow uh, that I had a Bible study with. Uh, he was out of the Baptist church, but when when I showed him some truths from the New Testament about the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins, he says, "Okay, I accept that." He said, "I've always just wanted to do what I believe was right." And that's what I've been doing. But he says, you've shown me uh, something here that uh, that I think is right, and I want to do that now because I want to do what's right. And that's yeah. the attitude we all need to have. Yeah, that's along the lines of what Kevin says in the chat room. He says, seek and you shall find. Seekers will find. Yeah, I really believe that, Kevin. I, I believe that You know, we don't have all the answers. We can't explain all the circumstances, and we don't even need to. But I really believe that God in his providence will, a person who's truly seeking the truth, God will make it possible for them to be in touch with the truth. All right. And, and that's just a confidence that I have or a faith that I have. But, uh, but I, I really believe that. We're overdue for our bottom of the hour break. When we get back, we're going to get into that question of salvation. Question from Philip about just saying the sinner's prayer, maybe. Or, or calling on the, What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? All right. We'll get to that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. Well, just send us your comments and don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. It's been reported that American students are not doing well in important math and science studies. In fact, they rank 35th in the world on achievement tests in math and 27th in the world in science. That's according to the Pew Research Center. However, it's also reported that the very same American students rank among the highest in the world regarding how they feel about their math and science abilities. This is direct evidence of the overemphasis that has been given in recent years to the subjective matters of self-worth and self-esteem. Our educators have obviously worried too much about feelings and not nearly enough about real learning. We may be following the same mistaken agenda in our spiritual teaching. It seems that we have lost a sense of balance in our preaching and in our Bible class studies. We may be stressing certain feel-good themes too much while neglecting important instruction in matters of doctrine. The results tend to indicate this. We have a generation of Christians that don't know and can't explain simple doctrinal truths. Many would be hard-pressed to explain what's wrong with instrumental music and worship, why we oppose church-sponsored recreational and social activities, or what the Bible teaches about institutionalism and unscriptural church cooperative enterprises. Some could not even describe the simple New Testament plan of salvation or prove that baptism is essential for salvation. Members of the Lord's Church once had the reputation of being people of the book. We knew and could defend the truth on a wide variety of Bible subjects. Members of various denominations dreaded and even avoided discussions with us because they knew that we knew the Bible and could answer their faulty arguments. Sadly, we've lost much of that reputation. Let's get back to teaching and emphasizing, quote, all the counsel of God while, quote, keeping back nothing that is profitable, Acts 20, verses 20 and 27. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. We are trying to be like the church you read about in the Bible, and that means we don't compromise. We simply go to the Word of, the, of God, study it, do it. A lot of groups, it's amazing the compromise that you see out there in the world. I I'm, think I'm so. Just yeah. bending to hey. any kind of social uh, wind that is out there. The these churches are just going right along with it. We're we're standing against that. We're trying to we're trying to be a church like the church you read about in the New Testament, and that and that is not like a lot of the churches you, that you hear about today, Jacob. 
you have for years been using the example of the big denominational group in Nashville that has indoor fireworks. It's that time of year, I guess, huh? Yeah. This year they're having indoor fireworks and an indoor rodeo combined. Hot dog. Yeah, together. Wow. They probably have hot dogs, too. And it's free. (laughs) Yeah. Free? Yeah, free. you got to be kidding me. Yeah, free indoor fireworks, and this year with the fireworks and indoor rodeo. Unbelievable. So I don't know how you can pass on that. <laughs> well, I think I will. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's. I mean, They've been advertising listen, that on the radio. If you do, if you don't have to have Bible authority for everything you do, then by all means have the fireworks and the rodeo. Hey, if you don't if you don't need Bible authority, I'm going there. Right. You know why not? Now, but see, but somebody said, well, now I'm going to give just a little bit on this. Well, you've just given up all ground everything. that you ever had. You have to go with the indoor fireworks and rodeo. Otherwise. You're inconsistent and hypocritical. Exactly. All right. All right. So our next question in our listener smorgasbord comes from uh, Philip. Um, is he in the chat room? Yeah. Yeah, he's in the chat room tonight. Oh, uh, I, I think he may have sent Did he send this in last week? Yeah, he did. Oh, he said he was going to send it in. Yeah. And he sent us and his address. He, I think he said he already knew the answer, too. He sent us uh, his address, and we sent him a bumper sticker. Thank you, Philip, for that. Appreciate you helping us get the word But his out. question is, some in the denominational world would quote Romans 10, 9 and 10, and say that for one to be saved, all they have to do is, be, uh, is to call on the name of the Lord. Accept him as their Savior and pray a prayer, a sinner's prayer of some sort. With that in mind, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord, and where can we find a sinner's prayer in the Scripture? I think Philip does know the answer to yes, that. Yes, he does. And uh, it's a, and it's, uh, it is, you, you, we'll have to spend the rest of the program looking for that verse, Philip, because I, I, I can't find it. Well, I do find a statement about calling on the name of the Lord to be saved in Acts chapter well, yes, 2. That, We've been prayer. talking about the, the how the gospel was first preached on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, we have the record of Peter's sermon on that day. And in Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 21, um, Peter says, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's actually quoting the prophet Joel there. Mm-hmm. All right, so he's quoting from the Old Testament prophet Joel, in, who was prophesying of the coming Messiah, of the things that were happening just there as Peter was preaching on Pentecost. And he's basically saying what you're seeing, Peter's point here is what you're seeing here on Pentecost is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel prophesied about. And one of the things that the prophet Joel said, all who call on the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Well, the context of this of that statement explains what it means, because Peter went on with his sermon to confirm that Jesus was that promised Messiah. And then, as I think our listeners well know, in verse 37, they uh, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, wait a minute. They'd already been told what to do. Call on the name of the Lord. Yeah. And so did, does Peter reiterate that? Just say, well, call on the name of the Lord or say a sinner's prayer. No. He says, uh, Peter said to them, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So calling on the name of the Lord here has to be equated with repenting and being baptized for the remission of sins. So, so we've got we've got Peter saying that, and then in the same sermon, he explains how to do that. You call on the name of the Lord by believing in him and submitting to his instructions, including repentance and baptism for the remission of sins. It has to, obviously something other than just saying the name of the Lord. Otherwise, there are a lot of folks in our in our society that are getting saved every time they get scared or they're happy or you know, they're using the Lord's name in vain all over the place. It means something else other than just saying Jesus' yeah, name. Yeah, for sure, <clears throat> because Jesus said in... In Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter to the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Yeah. So it's not just saying, Lord, it's doing the will of the Father. The idea of the name of the Lord doing something in the name of the Lord is mentioned in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So... That is referenced again in connection with baptism. If we turn over to Colossians chapter two, verse or chapter three, verse seventeen, we see there what that phrase means: to call upon the name of the Lord, to do something in the name of the Lord, it means to do it by His authority, based upon His instructions. 
Colossians 3.17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Throughout scriptures, we see that idea of doing something through the name of the Lord or by the name of the Lord or in the name of the Lord means doing it by the, his authority in accordance with his instructions. Exactly right. All right. All right. Now, so I think that's what me, what calling on the name of the Lord is. I'm, I think Philip agrees with us about that. He's made us a good question to discuss, but yeah. I think he agrees with us that that's what that means. Um, but we didn't answer all of his questions. His other question is, where can we find a sinner's prayer in the Scripture? Now, that's the part I agree with you, Jacob. I can't find anything about that in the Scriptures. I do read about a man, a lost man, who was praying. In Acts chapter 9, we have the the story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And you remember the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. uh, And a bright light shone around him. The Lord spoke to him. And Paul, trembling, verse 6, and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city. It shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, some of our denominational friends say that, that... Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. He wasn't saved on the road to Damascus. He, he was told, go in the city, and there it will have told you what you must do. So notice, the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. So three days are transpiring now. And he's not, he's fasting. He's not eating or drinking. Uh... Verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So get this now. Saul of Tarsus believed on Jesus, called him Lord on the road to Damascus, but he wasn't saved there. He was told, go into the city. He'll be told you what you must do. So he went into the city. He's fasting. And the additional information we find out, he's also praying. So here's a believer who's fasting and praying. But when Ananias comes to him, what does he say? Well, we know what he said because Paul himself recounted that later in his life in Acts 22, verse 16. Ananias said, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. By the way, calling on the name of the Lord. Be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. So this kind of ties both parts of Philip's questions together. You call on the name of the Lord by obeying in baptism. And Ananias said, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. But our point here is, Although he was fasting and praying, he wasn't saved. We know he was a believer. We know he was praying. But he was not saved until he was baptized and had his sins washed away. All right. You know, it's amazing how how prevalent this doctrine is, this idea of the sinner's prayer. If you do a little research on it, Billy Graham really is the one who popularized that idea of the sinner's prayer in that, in that time frame of that uh, revival era. Is where it, it and, I, and there may be some earlier references to that, but that's where it really caught wind in America is this idea of the sinner's prayer. Now it's everywhere. You'd think you'd find it on every page of the Bible almost, as common as it is. I mean, you hear this people on the radio and television all the time saying, just say a prayer and you'll be saved. Not years ago, the scriptures. years ago, I went to a Billy Graham rally uh, with several other Christians, and we were passing out literature as people were filing into this huge uh, sports arena that held. 15 or 20,000 people. And we were handing out stuff and, you know, given, given Bible tracts. And we were actually, actually asking some questions about, you know, is Billy Graham right about this? And it was pretty amazing. Uh, we had some people who violently tried to take away our literature from us, almost attacked us. Uh, quite an experience. And then we went in and listened to Billy Graham and it was, it, it, it was just stunning when he made his altar call. He had, he had, agents in every section of this giant sports arena and they were urging people to come you know they, they were actually almost pulling people out of their seats to get them to go forward to to the altar call is a real experience uh quite a shame that uh, that those false doctrines can catch root so quickly um Let's see here. Philip references Acts twenty two sixteen. Yep. Um, and then Kevin says, I'm working on a lesson that deals with all the popular modern methods offered for salvation and comparing those each to Scripture. 
like the sinner's prayer, calling on the name of the Lord, only the words, mentally agreeing that Jesus is real, giving my life over, etc. Uh, Philip says, yes, I agree with you. have come across several tracks with these taught in them. Yeah. All right. There's one real popular tract. I uh, can't remember the name of The Baptists have been distributing it for decades. It's a little tiny track, and it's printed in red and black. Uh, I forget what it's called now, but uh, but they teach that. Basically, they teach believe and call on the name of the Lord. Say okay. a prayer. All right. We need to get a break, and we'll go to the top of the hour talking about Chris's question. Chris from Atlanta uh, wants to know about uh, how we would uh, deal with the Catholics' position on calling priest father and uh, that Christ's literal flesh and blood are consumed in the Lord's Supper and that we should pray to dead saints. Interesting positions that they hold. All of them seem to be in direct contradiction with what the Scriptures teach, but we'd like your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts and stay with us. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View's Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we'll do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Americans systematically overestimate their knowledge and ability on a massive scale. The overconfidence effect measures the difference between what people really know and what they think they know. What's surprising is that experts in a given field suffer even more from the overconfidence effect than lay people do. For example, if asked to forecast oil prices in five years' time, an economics professor will be as wide of the mark as a zookeeper will. However, the professor will offer his forecast with certaintude. In a survey, 93% of U.S. students estimated themselves to be above average, and 68% of teachers rated themselves in the top 25% for teaching ability. That information is via Psychology Today. The Word of God says in Proverbs 21, verse 4, "...an high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin." Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight, and uh, we want to take a question from Chris on the Catholics' position on various topics that appear to be right in the face of what the Scriptures teach. All right, so Chris asked us about three things the Catholics believe and asked us to talk about them. One of them is calling priests father. Yes. Uh, we don't have time to, to link to it, but you can find it real easily on the website. There's, I was telling you earlier, Jacob, I think the Catholics have gotten motivated to be more apologetic in their approach. And by apologetics, I mean making a defense. There are a lot more Catholic apologists out there on the Internet trying to explain and prove various Catholic positions. And there's one guy who apparently is pretty well known named Tim Staples, and uh, Chris linked me to a video of him, uh, and it's a long one. We don't have time for it, but he's basically saying that it's okay for uh, uh, to call Catholic priests father. Uh, of course, the verse that prohibits such is so plain in Matthew chapter 23 it's, at verse 9. It's plain, but we have to understand it in its context. Yeah. Matthew 23 verse 9 says, Call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Yeah. Well, this Tim Staples then says, Well, that can't be literal. That can't be me. That can't mean altogether don't call anyone father, because Ephesians 6.22 says, Honor your father and your mother. Right. So he's saying, obviously, it doesn't mean you can't call someone father, because later in the scripture we read about. It. In fact, then then he references Luke sixteen verse twenty four, where uh, Jesus talks about 
the, the father Abraham. Look at that, Luke sixteen twenty four. I think I got that right. Yes, uh, Lazarus, or the rich man, uh, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Well, what about calling Father Abraham? Well, uh, uh, well I, for, I, first, I would agree with his position that it can't mean it's literally. not a, a, a total prohibition of calling someone exactly father. right. Uh, Ephesians six, honor your father and mother. That's your physical father. And I would argue that Father Abraham in, here in Luke chapter sixteen a, was a also a literal ancestor of the rich man yes. who was calling him father. Yes. So I, I would dismiss both of those and say, well, you. This is talking about physical relationship, not a spiritual headship. Um, well, look it, at the context. Okay, go ahead. He's talking about the the, the uh, scribes and Pharisees and how they like to be called rabbi, rabbi, verse 7. Uh, verse 8, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Uh, and do not call be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Uh, and verse 11, uh, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. It's about these titles and elevating certain people above others. That's it's about he, religious titles, exactly. That's the condemnation, which is exactly what the Catholics are doing. Yeah, uh, and the Bible actually talks about, you know, Paul said that, Timothy was his own son in the faith. Right. So it talks about relationships that we have. You know, maybe uh, I was trying to look up quickly here one time. Paul said you have uh, uh, that he had been like a father to uh, think the Corinthians. uh, Maybe somebody in the chat room can help me with that. Uh, Let's see. Let me see if I can find that. I should look that up earlier. Okay. All right. Um, But I do think you're right uh, that. Let's see. yeah, in 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul uh, says, let me get that. He says, uh, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Well, he wasn't having them call him father, but he was saying, I'm like a father to you in that I taught you the gospel. Right. And so the scriptures talk about relationships that we have in the body of Christ. Maybe someone is like a father to us in the sense that they really helped us, nurtured us, mentored us, instructed us. But we don't assign the title of father to them. The, the title of, of, of father is what Jesus was specifically prohibiting in Matthew 23, verse 9. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that is the, the elevation of someone above others. Jesus says, don't. Do that, and that's what we're doing when we okay. give these titles. Okay. We got we got to go quick. All right. The second question that uh, Chris in Atlanta asked us to deal with is, uh, what about the the idea of transubstantiation? The idea of transubstantiation is the idea that the 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 bread and the fruit of the vine in the Lord's Supper become the literal body and blood of Jesus when Christians partake of it. Transubstantiation. Uh, what about that? All right. Uh, Kevin just had a study this week about transubstantiation. This is my body is the main argument. However, we must deal with the idea that the importance is the bread and the wine or whether the uh, uh, or whether the point is that Jesus' use of the water uh, was a memorial in his memory. That was his approach to the study. Um, and, and, Kevin, I think you're right. It, it, the, um, the, it is, in, it is uh, a figurative use there of, of that expression. Um, I, I got an article that I thought did a pretty good job of dealing with this uh, uh, from Wayne Jackson. He said, when Jesus took the bread and fruit of the vine, gave these objects to the disciples and said, this is my body and this is my blood, Matthew 26, beginning verse 26, he quite obviously was not speaking literally, for he still possessed his literal, literal body and blood. Moreover, at the same time, Christ specifically identified the drink as this fruit of the vine, verse 29. The nature of the substance had not changed. So I think that's a good answer. Uh, it's a metaphor uh, where something represents something else. But but one of the verses, and, and Chris asked us to deal with John 6, verse 53, beginning, 
You remember in John 6, verse 53, Verily I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have not life in yourselves. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Yes. Now that's a verse that they use, and and uh, Chris asked us specifically about that. Uh, here's what Wayne Jackson said on that. In verse 54, the terms eateth and drinketh are both present tense participles, signifying that the disciples were to be eating his flesh and drinking his blood at that very time and continue doing so as a process. A literal rendition would read, he who continues eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Uh, the disciples were not eating and drinking the Savior's flesh and blood at that moment. The eating and drinking are said to result in life. Yet this very context, that life is described as being the consequence of receiving Jesus' words, his teachings, verse uh, 63. It thus becomes clear that the consumption of his body and blood are the equivalent of ingesting his sacred instructions. The former is a figurative expression. That is, eat my flesh, drink my blood. The latter, uh, uh, where you receive his word, verse 63, is is literal. Um so I think Jackson, Wayne Jackson is right on that where he's saying he's just saying you have to imbibe this instruction and make it a part of you literally. All right. All right. Um, and then we're just about out of time. Uh, the third question. What about praying to dead saints? Yeah. And Chris especially asked about, he says they use Romans 12 verse 1 says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I think we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That doesn't say we can pray to them. Hebrews 12.1 he, Hebrews 12, 1 is talking yeah. about the great witnesses of the Old Testament, faithful characters of the Old Testament who believed in God and served him faithfully. And they represent a great cloud of witnesses to us concerning the reality of God and his will and Jesus as his son. But there's nothing about that would suggest we should pray to that cloud of witnesses. Yeah, and it's interesting. They think that you should you should pray to these dead saints so that they could intercede for you. Um, in other words, you need to ask them to ask God to help you. Um, but it's interesting that, and this may be controversial, but we're not even told to pray to Jesus. Yeah, I think you're right. But hang on that just a second, because I want to go there. But, but he says one of the verses they use is Revelation 5, verse 8, says uh, this, this, this is the throne scene around God's throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And so they say that the the, the, the reference to 24 elders holding our prayers and delivering them to God uh, suggests the intercessory prayer to such saints. Uh, in fact, the, the website Catholic Answers calls this the intercession of the saints. Well, I don't think the fact that that's obviously a figurative scene there. And uh, our prayers being in vials, uh, that's not literal, right? It couldn't be literal, could it? Could, how, how, you would take a, a verbal statement and put it in a literal vial? Well, that's not literally. I mean, that's obviously a figurative passage. It's got to be figurative, right? Yeah. So how do we pray? What are we supposed to pray? How are we supposed to pray? Uh, let me give you these. We've done this before on the virtual Bible study. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus answered in verse 2, when you pray, say this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, I mean, specifically when they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he didn't say, well, pray to your dead father. Pray to that devoted saint that died. Pray to Mary. Years. Pray to Mary. No, he said, pray your prayers to Father. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, let your requests be made known unto God. Ephesians 5, 20, uh, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians three seventeen, giving thanks to God and the Father by Christ. We pray to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the intercessor. In that regard, you'd think we'd find some example of folks praying to uh, dead saints if that's what we're supposed to do. And in fact, the verse I was mentioning earlier, John chapter 16, verse 23, not even are we supposed to pray to Jesus who died in John 16, 23. And in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, in my name, 
Yeah, I mean, Jesus literally you said... You think that Jesus, I mean, if, if you're supposed to pray to Mary, you're supposed to pray to St. Uh, Valentine or St. So Nicholas or whoever, that you you ought to have prayed to Jesus, yeah. but Jesus said, no, no, ask the Father. Exactly. All right. Josh. Uh, yeah, my thoughts on that, uh, if, if you're praying to dead saints to intercede for you, then book of Hebrews doesn't make sense when Christ is mentioned as our high priest of the new covenant, how he intercedes for us, exactly. and all the comparisons made to him. It doesn't even make sense if you can pray to saints. They're, they're taking the place of our high priest. I think you're exactly right, Josh. Right. Philip, uh, that's great questions and answers, covering a variety of issues, the things that come up in a course of one's personal study or study with others. How do you answer such, such questions? So, good. The yeah. Good questions. Send Thanks. us some more. Everybody listening, send us some more questions. Uh, we we, we love to do these smorgasbord programs, and so to do them, we've got to get your questions. Now, see that, that one from Philip was an excellent example. He yeah. knew the answer, but it was an excellent question. Exactly. That maybe needs others to be covered. needed to hear. It needs yeah. to be covered, exactly. Yeah, so because somebody could be thrown off by that, where it says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, even folks What's who may think they know the answer might, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy hearing the answers to questions that I might think I already know the answer to, just to hear how, how other people might answer them. Exactly right. So, yeah, send them in. So that's your assignment tonight. There's uh, lots of folks in the chat room still. So send us some questions. One question before you get out of there. For a future smorgasbord program. That's right. That's right. That's your, that's your assignment before the next class. All right. We're out of time. Way out of time. Yeah, way out of time. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Josh, thank you for being here and helping us. Hey, thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our study and benefited from it tonight. I hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.